Uh, tonight's Bible reading is from Colossians chapter 2, reading uh, verse 6 to verse 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends depends on the human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here ends the reading. Good evening, everybody. Lovely to have you with us. My name is Phil. I'm the Associate Vicar. Let's pray for God's help as we do so. Our Father God, we, we have a longing and a need. We need you. We need more of you. Our Father, we pray that you would uh, show us Christ, um, not the thin Christ of the uh, of popular imagination, but the rich, glorious, satisfying Christ of history. Please, Father, would you come down? Would you fill us? And please, will we leave here confident that you are all we need. Amen. So the, the group of Christians that Paul's writing to in Colossae, this this church. They've made a great start. They're following Jesus, doing fabulously well. But, but a bunch of teachers have arrived and said to them, uh, from what Paul argues, we, we can sort of work out what, they, what they've said. And what they seem to have said is, if you really want spiritual fullness and freedom, then it is brilliant that you've started trusting in Jesus. Christ is the essential foundation in the Christian life. But it's time to move on now. It's time to move on from a childish faith to maturity. And for that, you need something more than Christ. Now, that teaching had real appeal because it spoke to a real need, to be perfectly honest. A longing all of us I suspect, recognize whether we call ourselves Christian or not, a longing for uh, whether we call it God or a, a transcendent experience. We long for more of God. Uh, we long for more strength to fight against the, the, the stuff we do that we wish we didn't do. We long for more experience of God's power and presence in the genuine difficulties that we face in life. We long for more confidence, if we're Christians, that God exists as we face uh, dismissal or mockery when we seek to tell others about Jesus. 
We long for more reassurance that his promises, they are true. And if I bank on Jesus, I'm not going to look like a fool in the future. We long for a richer, deeper spiritual experience every day. And wouldn't the Christian life be a whole lot easier and a whole lot better if we had that? So what should we do with that longing? Well, Paul's point in the central section is pretty simple. When you feel like that, when you feel like, I just, I feel like I need more, that there's a lack. When you feel like that, you don't need more than Christ, you need more of Christ. That's his big point. You don't need more than Christ, you need more of Christ. And we'll see how he shows that. His big point is uh, verses 6 to 7. It's really the, the summary, if you like, of the whole letter of Colossians is in verses 6 to 7. Keep growing in Christ. Anything else is human and hollow. Let's look together. Verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the path to spiritual fullness, to freedom, to maturity. But the image is it's quite a strange one when you try to picture in your mind what he's telling us to do. Uh, live your lives, to, translates the word to walk, you know, the, you know, an ongoing conduct. We can understand why he'd use the word walk. So Paul is saying... What you need to do is walk faithfully with Christ by being rooted like a tree, built up like a building, confirmed like a legal deed that's been stamped, and overflowing like a jug of wine. It's, it, what? It, that just sounds like you're confusing a whole heap of things, Paul. But actually, the combination of images shows the balance that there is in genuine Christian maturity. To grow up, to grow rich and full, you need to be both stable and dynamic, unchanging and progressive, faithful to and grounded in the unchanging truths of the gospel found in the Bible, unmovable from your commitment to Jesus Christ, but never stale or stagnant like some ossified religious tradition. It's a living relationship that should be dynamic and developing, on the move always to a richer, greater, deeper, fuller experience of God. That's what God calls us to here. Each and every day, today, tomorrow, and forever, God calls you to a deeper, richer experience of him. But immediately, Paul has to sound a warning. He says, look, always there's a danger that this very real and rightful longing for God will, well, it will lead you not just to be dissatisfied with the current state of your own faith, but to depart from the Christ in whom you trust, to look elsewhere for longing and for fullness and freedom. So verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, it's unclear whether Paul is uh, got in his target, uh, in his sights, a pagan mystery cults or uh, some sort of version of Judaism. He'll tell us a little bit more in verses 16 to 23 next week. But it doesn't really matter. The big point is clear. No teaching or experience that is grounded somewhere other than Jesus can help you connect more fully to God. 
Now, philosophy and tradition have value. Paul was very highly educated in both. But only if something is grounded in Christ can it help us grow to true spiritual fullness. Ultimately, uh, the paths of advanced spiritual development that the new teachers are offering to the Colossians, well, they're just human traditions and elemental. They originated down here, so they're a fat lot of use for connecting with the God who is up there. That's Paul's point, to put it bluntly. I mean, forget progress. They are the worldly ABC, he says. It's as if you're desperate for more, so you've signed up to, to study for a PhD, and instead you find yourself in nursery. Oh, how very frustrating. So beware the Christian leader who with false humility speaks about how I have grown out of an immature, simplistic Jesus in the Bible faith into a broader, deeper understanding that draws from other wells of spiritual insight. Sounds so wonderful. But if it's not digging deeper into Christ, it's not taking you further into God. So beware, but do make progress. And I say this to all of you, I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. Looking around, I think I've probably been following for longer than anybody here. And there is a whole lot more to the Christian life than what I've discovered. Or you've discovered. Much, much more. Don't move on from Christ, but do move on with Christ. That's Paul's call. And now in verses 9 to 15, Paul gives three arguments, uh, three reasons that you should never want to move on from Christ. Three things that can only be found in Christ. First, you have received the fullness of God in Christ. So verse 9, you have received the fullness of God in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, in the Old Testament, the great privilege of the people of Israel was that God dwelt among them. They had this, uh, this magnificent, awe-inspiring, stunningly beautiful, great building, the temple, and God came to live there. Well, kind of. Uh, Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles 6.18 at the dedication of the temple, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built? It's like saying, behold, everybody, all of the waters of the oceans of the world. That's what you see. Don't be ridiculous. It's a small cup. You can't contain God in a building. You can't even contain God in the vast cosmos above us. But he was contained in a tiny little baby born in Bethlehem. All the fullness, the immensity, the majesty, the might of the Creator God was squeezed into that little baby, Jesus. And if that doesn't make your head swim just a little bit, then I would gently suggest you have far too puny a view of God. Verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So, if you are in Christ, united to him by faith, then you have fullness. Not will have, but past tense, already now have. And he is the head over every power and authority. In other words, to move on from Christ can only ever be a demotion. 
It's a move down. You can't progress upwards from the top. All the fullness of God is in him. All power and authority is under him. So to move on is to lose out. To go from divine to human. To go from the glorious reality to a cheap knockoff imitation. There is nothing of God that you can have in this life that is not found in Christ. Let me say that again. There is nothing of God that you can have an experience in this life that is not found in Christ. By his spirit, all of God is available to us in Christ. As humans, we long for an experience of God, for the transcendent. Uh, we look for it in sex and relationships. We, we look for it at Glastonbury or, or in the surf of Hawaii. We look for it in religious ceremonies. We even look for it in experimental drugs. And that longing is good. It was put there in our hearts by God because he is the answer to it. Now, you can think of God as water. Uh, we're made in the image of God, and at the heart of all of us is a thirst, an inbuilt thirst to know our Creator. And God is not a little cup of water or even a bottle or a spring or even a river. He is an ocean of water for our thirst. And in Jesus Christ, we get to dive into the ocean. And by his Spirit, that ocean becomes a spring inside of us. Now, because God is limitless, this is very important, when we come to know him through Jesus, we will always be both somewhat satisfied, we found God, but also always slightly dissatisfied because there is more still to come. Always thirsty for more and yet always satisfied. But to seek to, to satisfy that thirst for more away from Jesus is like someone, uh, imagine you're uh, in the desert and it's uh, sandy, of course, and uh, you, somebody sort of crawls across the desert to you. And it's been almost three days. They're at the point when human life is about to be extinguished. Their tongue is all swollen, their lips cracked, they're absolutely in tatters. And they're gasping with thirst. And you present them with a pint of cold, clear spring water. And they gulp it all down in a second. Just the best thing ever. But then they say, oh, I'm, so, I'm still thirsty. This, this water obviously isn't enough. Uh, it doesn't work. I, I, I obviously need something else because that didn't satisfy my thirst. Uh, maybe, have you got any salt water I could try or, or some oil? Or, or maybe I'll try drinking sand because that water, it just didn't satisfy my thirst. You, know, you, you just need more water. You don't need salt water or sand. You need more spring water, more pure water. And most of us, truth be told, even those of us who've been Christians for decades have only ever had a sip of Christ. And no wonder we're still thirsty. But whatever else we turn to with our spiritual thirst, if it's not fundamentally about digging in to Christ through the Bible, then we're just drinking salt water to satisfy our thirsty souls. Looks like water, tastes a bit like water, but never, ever will it satisfy our thirst for God. All that can be experienced of God is found in Jesus through the Bible by his Spirit. 
outside of him, there is nothing in this world that can truly connect you to God. Nothing. So mine, dig, search deeply in the Bible for that relationship with Jesus. So that's the first reason why you should never move on from Christ, but should always move on with Christ, is that all of God is in Christ. But secondly, you have been buried and raised in Christ. The basic point of verses 11 to 12 is you've been circumcised in Christ. Barely needs any more explaining, I'm sure. But let's have a look at the detail. And, but before we do that, let me tell you what the, uh, the longing that is answered here is. These verses uh, show that Christ is the answer to our longing, not so much uh, the longing for an experience of God, but the longing for renewal, uh, the power to be a new person, the hope that I, I'm not enslaved by my past, I'm not determined by my guilt, shame, or bondage, but that I can change, I can be better, I can be more, free. And again, we see that Christ is the answer to these deep longings. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, circumcision was the ceremony given, the foundational ceremony given to the Jewish people, God's people, in the Old Testament. It symbolized the cutting off of the sinful self and the being set apart then to serve God. Now, Paul is not encouraging us to carry out the physical ritual, a great relief to half the room, uh, but he is talking rather of a deeper reality. Verse 11, a circumcision performed by Christ. In other words, not just the physical cutting off of a small part of flesh, but the real cutting off of the whole sinful self. How on earth does that happen? Well, verse 12, when you become a follower of Jesus, as symbolized by baptism, you are united to Christ. And in particular, we're buried and raised with Christ, it says here. That's what baptism symbolizes, going down into the water in death and coming back up in new life. On the cross, Jesus took the place of sinners and he became sin. And so as he died, the punishment for sin is death. And, and he was buried, that sinful body that Jesus became was buried in the ground. And then he was raised to new resurrection life. Well, good for Jesus. Well, good for you too, actually. Because by faith we're united to him. And so we share in the, in the burial of our sinful body and the resurrection to a new, renewed life. Now again, look at the tenses of the verbs. Paul is not saying, look, this happened to Christ in history, and if you trust in him, then one day, one day, your sinful body will be buried, and you will rise to resurrection life. Now it's even more amazing than that. Your old self was, past tense, put off, verse 11, having been buried, past tense, verse 12. You were also raised with him, past tense, verse 12. These are already true of you if you trust in Christ tonight. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is at work to make those realities more your daily experience. Don't you long for that? And when he returns, he will complete the transformation that even now his spirit is working on in you. 
What else can offer you anything like this? The decisive death of the old self and a new you with the immortal hope of Jesus Christ's resurrection life. Now, we'll think next week about how uh, that relates to the, oh gosh, the fact that all of us are probably thinking, yeah, but I still sin quite a lot. We'll think next week about how that transforms the battle with sin and how we're to reconcile uh, our, our daily experience of that. But thirdly, thirdly and lastly, you have been forgiven through Christ. You have been forgiven through Christ. That's the third reason not to move on. Now, God becomes the, the subject of the verbs as he celebrates what Jesus has achieved for us in the climax of this passage. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So now he explains how it is that joining Jesus in his burial and his resurrection brings us to forgiveness and life. So you've got two things going on here. There is a human drama in history, we can imagine, I guess, the scene outside Jerusalem. Uh, there's, it's an execution. There's the condemned man, Jesus, being nailed to a wooden cross, hauled up by the soldiers, surrounded by the gloating religious leaders. It's an execution scene carrying on in history. But behind the scenes, in heaven, a very different drama is taking place. Not an execution, but a courtroom scene. He pictures the prosecution with a great charge sheet, an indictment listing all the things you've ever done wrong, everything you thought and said and done, everything you failed to do that you should do, and not just the things that you've done which have caused misery and harm to other humans made in God's image, but far worse are offenses against holy almighty God. Can you imagine how many pages that indictment would run to for each of us? And we stand cowering in the dock, awaiting the certain guilty verdict. But as Jesus is nailed to the cross and the nails go into his hands, that charge sheet is nailed to him. And the court changes. Because the debt of sin is paid. No charge, no accusation is left. It has been dealt with in history, in the execution of Jesus Christ. And so Satan is utterly defeated. The powers and authorities are disarmed. His only real power, Satan's only real power is to accuse. It's a frightening power when you're as guilty as we are. But that power is robbed from him by Jesus. Do you see the irony, actually, of verse 15? Having disarmed, uh, literally stripped bare the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, had you been there and seen and witnessed the death of Jesus, you would have seen him stripped bare, him nailed up uh, in a public spectacle, hung naked for all to see the triumph of his enemies 
and the weak, miserable defeat of Jesus Christ. But the very opposite was happening. By absorbing the punishment for sin, he stripped all the weapons of Satan and his demonic powers. He wasn't humiliated at the cross. They were exposed as utterly impotent. See, as Jesus dies, the gates of hell were flung open and Jesus led all his people out and there was nothing the devil or his demonic armies could do. Utterly impotent, without a weapon in their hands. Just had to watch as Jesus marched in triumph with his people. It was a complete, crushing triumph. What was apparently done to Jesus by the worldly authorities was actually being done to the worldly authorities and the demonic forces behind them by Jesus. Now that means that no matter what words others speak against us, no matter what accusations or dark voices come to you in your conscience, Jesus has cancelled your guilt. He has disarmed and humiliated the one who would accuse you. He's broken the power and grasp of sin to rule and ruin you. And your forgiveness is complete in him. Look, the spiritual longing, the longing for more of God is real and, and as natural to us as the longing for food was to Oliver Twist. Please, sir, can I have some more? But the answer is not something else. All of Christ is all of yours, and all of God is in Christ. What on earth can you lack if you have him? We need more of Christ, not more than Christ. A.W. Tozer observed in the last century, modern religion focuses on filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. Only in Jesus does that happen, as we know him in his word by his spirit. Do you long for a deeper experience of God? Well, through Jesus, we're, we're drawn into the inner life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you long for meaning and purpose in life? Jesus is fighting and winning the great battle between ultimate evil and good in the cosmos, and he calls us to join him in it. Do you long for the spiritual power to fight sin, to be a better version of yourself? Jesus is blazing purity, the holiness of God. He's also the power of God, available for us. Do you long for healing, for past hurts, the stuff that's been done to you and, and that you've been through? How wonderful to read your old life has been buried with Christ. And you now share a new, eternal resurrection life. You've been set free to live that life. And one day soon, one day soon, you'll feel as free as you truly are. Do you long for forgiveness, for past wrongs, the things that you and I have done that bring bitter regret and self-loathing? Well, Jesus nailed them to the cross, paid them in full and signed the check in his blood. But often, if we're honest here tonight, the truth is that we just don't spend much time with this Christ 
who does these things. And so we have a shallow, superficial consumer relationship. We've only sipped the living water and our souls are thirsty. And it's a depressing truth that we are more concerned about not missing out the latest notification that our phone might ping in than with putting it aside and digging deep into his word to know him. And then we wonder why we don't feel anything or change much. Let me tell you, Jesus is worth the investment. He's worth the investment of of prayer before you come to church that there'll be a real experience of the power and presence of God as you gather. He's worth your diligent digital free attention when at church or watching online. He's worth the hard work of building disciplined habits of deep daily Bible study and prayer. Because all of us need more of Christ. Press on for more of him. I've been reading a book about the, uh, the revivals in, uh, in Harris, Scottish Islands, Western Highlands, um, in the 1949 to 1951. And there's a chorus of a, of a, of a song that they sang again and again as this uh, community that had known so much of the Bible and religion, but so little of the power of God. And when the Spirit of God came upon them, and the place was transformed by the, by the preaching of, um, of one or two ministers who came from the mainland. And the place just came on fire. And they, they sang this song. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in me. Our Father God, please would you help each and every one of us to know that, that there is love and life, and lasting joy found in the Lord Jesus. Help us to press on to more of him. Help us to have a deeper, richer experience of him and the fullness and freedom he brings. Amen.